Hi, Casey here. Before we start, our team at Pass Blue wants you to know that we're a nonprofit website and we depend on your generous donations to tell stories about the UN. In November and December, Pass Blue takes part in Newsmatch, a national matching gift campaign that drives donations to nonprofit newsrooms like us around the country. Here's how it works. If you give today, Newsmatch will double your donation up to $1,000. For a nonprofit like us, that's a big deal and will help us report exclusive stories at the UN every day. The type of journalism we do that puts accountability first cannot wait. Because if we don't tell these stories, who will? Hi, I'm Casey Candela. And I'm Stephanie Fillion. And welcome to Unscripted. Today... The United States' new ambassador to the UN, Kelly Knight Craft, is in the spotlight as president of the Security Council. And she's taking the council on a very special tour of her home state of Kentucky, featuring two very American pastimes, bourbon and basketball. This is the 10th episode of Unscripted, a podcast taking you inside the United Nations and beyond the scripted debates to the people at the heart of it all, the diplomats and the reporters covering them. This month, the United States is the rotating president of the Security Council. Every month, we meet with the ambassador and diplomats to get to know more about them and their priorities for the month. We tried to get a hold of Ambassador Kelly Nightcraft for a long time, but the U.S. mission to the U.N. declined all of our requests. But we're not the only one. Kelly Nightcraft still has to hold her press briefing to discuss her priorities as president, which is usually held the first day of the month. She may have been delayed by the Thanksgiving celebration. She's supposed to talk to the press on Friday, December 6th, so we'll see. This is the first time she'll formally brief the press since taking the post in September. Since then, Ambassador Nightcraft hasn't given any interviews that we know of and is known for not taking questions when she goes to the press stakeout outside of the Security Council. That's where ambassadors in general make statements after Security Council sessions. So Ambassador Nightcraft has been sort of low-key, and I must say that I, for myself, and other reporters too, I'm sure, we're looking forward to her press briefing to sort of hear from her and know more about her style and her presidency. She's also not having the monthly briefing with civil society groups, another meeting that is customary for a Security Council president. And we've heard from at least one significant civil society group that they're disappointed by that and say it reflects a lack of transparency. Stephanie, what do her colleagues at the UN say about her? In general, they say she's dedicated to her job, but that she still seems to be learning a lot. Other diplomats also told me she's less political than her predecessor, Nikki Haley, which sort of makes sense. Haley had been governor of South Carolina before becoming UN ambassador for President Trump, while Ambassador Kraft had little political experience. So we don't know the details on what the U.S. priorities are for the presidency this month, but what does the schedule say? Besides focusing on regular renewals for UN peacekeeping missions, like in the Congo, there will also be a debate on intercommunal violence and terrorism in West Africa. The U.S. mission to the U.N. is also organizing a debate on the role of philanthropy in post-conflict situations. We don't know exactly what that means, but at Ambassador Natraf's Senate confirmation hearing, she said that one of her top goals was to drop private money into the U.N. After all, she's a philanthropist herself. 
Speaking of Ambassador Nightcraft's philanthropy work in Kentucky, Past Blue has learned and published an exclusive story about the ambassador taking her colleagues on the Security Council to her home state. It's an unusual destination, especially since we're used to seeing the council going to global hotspots or visiting peacekeeping missions. The latest trips include going to South Sudan, Iraq, Mali, and Burkina Faso. They also went to Ethiopia to visit the African Union headquarters in Addis Ababa. Stephanie, what do we know so far about the trip to Kentucky? First, let's distinguish things. This is not going to be a UN-sponsored trip. This is going to be sort of a retreat, one like China did when it held the presidency about a year ago. The country invited other diplomats to three cities in China and paid for it. In the U.S.'s case, individual member states are paying for lodging and air travel. In general, Security Council trips need a mandate, and it would have been hard for the U.S. to find something that fits with the U.N. mission to go to Kentucky. On the agenda for the council trip is dinner at the state governor's mansion and a bourbon tour. That's pretty different from visiting conflict zones. Is it common for the Security Council to take these so-called side trips? It happens. There was a trip to the Dominican Republic last spring to say goodbye to the French ambassador François Delattre, who was leaving after five years at the UN. And funny enough, he didn't even attend. And there was also a consul trip to Sweden in 2017. But it's not that common. So Kelly Nightcraft is definitely trying to do something special here. It's part of the consul's new way of working informally called SOFA Talks. And SOFA isn't an acronym for Status of Forces Agreement. It literally means SOFA, like a couch in your living room. The council meets off-site and chats informally as if they're sitting in a living room, getting to know each other more personally. And since the media will likely not be invited to the horse capital of the world, we're going to give you a preview of what the ambassadors are going to see in mid-December. Our very own editor, Dulcie Limebach, spent a few days in Lexington, Glasgow, and Frankfurt, the capital of Kentucky, to understand who Kelly Nightcraft is and where she comes from. Dulcie, welcome to the show. Thanks very much for having me on. So Kelly Nightcraft also held a brief press conference earlier this week to talk about her presidency, and you asked about the trip. Why do you think it's important for her to take the council to Kentucky, and what message does it send to the UN? Well, the first thing that stood out when she came up to the group of reporters waiting for her outside the Security Council was that uh, the main theme for the council presidency for December is that there's no place like home for the holidays. And she said, we want to be able to make certain that everyone gets home for the holidays by December 20th. But as for the work of the council, she spoke in rather vague terms, including that her theme will be a, quote, credible council. One of the interesting parts about Kelly Knight Craft's very brief discussion to the reporters waiting to hear about the trip to Kentucky was that she got, became very animated when she described the trip. To me, that meant that she was very, very excited about this trip and very excited to show off her state of Kentucky, which is considered a southern state, not quite the deep south. Uh, well, what's sort of also interesting is that Nikki Haley had wanted to take the Security Council to South Carolina in September 2018, but there was a hurricane, so they had to cancel that trip. 
So this feels like a Nikki Haley playbook. But the fact is that Kelly Nightcraft is very, very prominent in her state and obviously very proud of it. And it's a way for her to shine outside the UN, which is sort of a difficult place to shine. And it's a way for her to feel confident, to give off some confidence, and to also show off to Kentuckians that, you know, she has this fairly important job in the Trump administration. So there are a lot of meanings to this trip, and not all of them are obvious. So politically, what are they going to see in Kentucky? It seems like a jaunt to look at Kentucky itself and to introduce to all the 14 other ambassadors who come from all over the world what Kentucky is about. So the plan, the tentative plan, uh, from what she told us briefly, was that they would arrive in Frankfort, Kentucky, which is the capital, on a Friday night. It's a small capital, but it's quite gorgeous. It's set in a ravine, so it's actually sort of a gem of a place. And they're going to have dinner at the governor's mansion. And the governor of Kentucky is a Democrat, Andy Bashir. I think he's going to be sworn in this month. So that, that's a curious thing. But she has in the past supported Governor Bashir as well as the outgoing governor, Matt Bevan. So, Dulce, you mentioned that Frankfurt is a really beautiful city, and you know that because you actually went to Kentucky to visit these places that, uh, you know, Ambassador Knightcraft has a connection to in some way. These ambassadors are very used to New York. You know, in some cases, they may not have traveled anywhere in the United States besides New York City, where the UN is located. So what's in store for them? Well, I'm a New Yorker, so for me, it was the first time going to Kentucky as well. And I was immediately impressed with the countryside. It's rolling green hills, even in mid-November. Very farm-like, very rural. I flew into Lexington, which is in the north. This is one of the major urban areas of Kentucky. It's home to the University of Kentucky, which is a big deal in the state. And Kelly Knightcraft attended and graduated from the University of Kentucky, as did her husband, Joe Craft. And both of them have given millions and millions of dollars to the University of Kentucky in various ways. So Lexington is sort of a sprawling city. Once you leave Lexington and you go south to her hometown, which is Glasgow, not far from Tennessee, I think I was the only person on the road for at least an hour of driving. So it was a big contrast to go quickly into the countryside. So as you said, one of the places you visited was uh, Nightcraft's hometown of Glasgow. What was it like? What did her former neighbors and peers in the community have to say about her? Well, when you get to Glasgow, you arrive right in the central square, which is home to Barron County's courthouse. It's mostly an agricultural region. They were once the main cattle and dairy producers for the state, if not the country, if you, if you take the local lore seriously. There's only one cafe with really good coffee. And then walking around the square, you see that a lot of the storefronts are empty. So that's a clue that 
this town has been very prosperous in the past, maybe for much of its life, but uh, right now it's, it's not super thriving. It's really hard to distinguish between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party until recently, uh, because both parties pretty much focus on the, the same issues, taxes, local services, and um, keeping the economy going, because it's been very hard for them to recover from the 2008 recession, and they still don't have a lot of well-paying jobs in the region and the dairy farms are going bust and the cattle farms are not as prosperous so they're moving to farming grains but the main thrust is that the two parties are actually not that different but right now one of them is more dominant in the state and that's the republicans a couple of the folks that you spoke to there actually were able to provide some information about Kelly Nightcraft's family, about her parents, about who they were in town. What did you find out? I spoke to editors at the Glasgow Times, which is the local newspaper, and they filled me in on the Guilfoyle family's history in, in Glasgow. Nothing untoward was ever said about them. They were upstanding citizens. Dr. Guilfoyle was the chairman of the Barron County Democratic Party and a big cheese in the Democratic Party, both in Barron County and the state, it seems. He was known as Dr. Bobby, Dr. Bobby Guilfoyle, but he also was a deacon at one of the local churches. Uh, so he, he was very prominent. His wife was very prominent as she worked at the vet clinic with him. And uh, she also was a seamstress. One unofficial local historian described uh, for me that uh, she had a, um, a sewing room, and she apparently was so good at sewing that she sewed some of the husband's suits, and that she also was a home ec teacher at Glasgow High School. One town official who is in the Democratic Party spoke to me a lot about Kelly Nightcraft's father. He uh, described his annual pig roasts at the Guilfoyle's house, and these were essentially fundraisers for the Democratic Party. But at one point when he was describing the house, which is cathedral style on the top of a hill outside of town, uh, he said, you know, Daddy would be rolling over in his grave if he knew that his daughter, Kelly Nightcraft, now works for Donald Trump. So I spoke to a lot of people, a lot of town officials. I just walked into their offices and said hello, and they would talk to me, and they were freely uh, giving me their opinions about Kelly Nightcraft, whether they knew her or not personally. A lot of people are very, very proud of small-town girl ending up at the UN uh, with the ambassadorship and has a very prominent position not only in the U.S., but she's representing the U.S. to the rest of the world. So this was repeatedly said to me how impressed they were, how proud they were, regardless if they were Democrats or Republicans, they felt that she did them well. But it's important to note that the Security Council won't be visiting Nightcraft's hometown of Glasgow, but they will be visiting Frankfurt and Lexington, two places you did visit on the trip. 
apparently what they're going to do in Lexington on Saturday is they're going to meet and have their so-called SOFA talks, which is uh, basically a new method of the council relating to each other informally, off-site, in some sort of, you know, casual way. It's unclear if these SOFA talks really produce positive vibes or whether they're just an experiment. But it is a way for them to try to understand who they are as people, as humans, and and what makes them tick. And apparently they're going to do this sofa talk at something called All Tech Industries, which is a local business. Then they're going to go to the University of Kentucky in the evening and watch a men's basketball game. And as someone in Lexington told me this is the deity of the state. The University of Kentucky men's basketball team is what gets people up in the morning. I think on Sunday, it's a three-day trip in Kentucky, which is how many days I spent there. I never once had bourbon, but I did have chocolate bonbons with bourbon in them. It's a big specialty. You can get them in just about any store in Kentucky. But apparently, they're going to go to a distillery. I don't know which one. There are many distilleries. uh, And they're going to take a tour, and they're going to bottle their own bourbons. Some of the council members are Muslim. And so I'm wondering what the thinking was by the U.S. in arranging a bourbon tour. Well, it sounds like an all-American tour of Kentucky. And regardless of whether the ambassadors drink bourbon, I'm sure some aspects will be a real treat. Um, Perhaps there's some bourbonless chocolate to be had in Kentucky. Um, But not all of the 15 ambassadors are going on this trip, Dulcie. Who's going to be missing? Well, it's pretty unclear right now, but it is mid-December when they're headed to Kentucky. And indeed, people do want to be home for the holidays. In fact, I was told by the South African delegation that their ambassador will not be going to Kentucky because he'll be either already home in South Africa or on his way to South Africa. And a recent rumor given the fascination about this council trip to Kentucky, is that one ambassador is not interested in going. And that ambassador happens to be one of the permanent five members. I'll leave that up to you, but I'll name the P5 as they're called. It's U.S., France, China, Russia, and U.K. So we know Kelly Knightcraft is going. I understand the Russian ambassador is eager to go, so that leaves three other ambassadors. Well, there's nothing like a little intrigue to spice up diplomacy, but Kentucky is not the only trip the Security Council is taking this month. I understand the Security Council went to Washington, D.C. Dulcie, what do you know about that? Well, they had lunch with President Trump at the White House, and that was pretty much exactly what happened when Nikki Haley became ambassador to the U.N. She brought the whole Security Council down to Washington, and I believe their spouses also came. So it was a big table. The The press got to come in and ask questions, and with Kelly Knightcraft, uh, pretty much the the same type of arrangement took place. And it's a way, more or less, for Kelly Knightcraft to say to council members and to the rest of the world that she has influence, that she can bring council members to the White House for lunch to meet the President of the United States. So there's a big political message in just gathering for lunch. 
Dulcie, thank you so much for sharing your reporting with us. And if listeners want to read more about your trip to Kentucky and what you found out, they can read about that on passblue.com. Dulcie, thank you so much. Well, thank you very much, Casey. I really enjoyed talking to you. Terrific, oh, there's no place like home for the holidays. Cause no matter how far away. Our second guest today is Spaz Blue senior contributor Erwin Arief. He's been closely following Katie Nightcraft's policy record since she took office in September. In her previous post as ambassador to Canada, she was criticized for her absentee record. Is Nightcraft more dedicated to the UN job than she was at her Canadian ambassadorship? Since arriving in New York, she's definitely been more attentive to her job. And I think it's in a sense that she's in the public eye a lot more because she's known for her absenteeism in Canada. It came out during her Senate confirmation hearings that she was absent from her job in Ottawa more than half the time taking frequent trips to her home and her husband's home for weekends with her husband's private airplane. So yes, she knows that everyone is watching her and she is being very careful to appear to be a responsible ambassador whose full attention is being given to her current job, which is much more prestigious and much more visible. And the reason why she got that post at all is because she and her husband were big Republican donors. Does that hold true for 2020? So far in 2019, since arriving at her new job at the UN, she has not been making political contributions to Republican candidates across the country as she did when she was in the Ottawa job. And neither has her husband, uh, Joseph Kraft III, who's the owner of Alliance Resource Partners, a big coal firm in the United States that has more than a billion dollars in resources. In the 2016 election cycle, when Donald Trump was running for president, the Krafts gave millions of dollars to Republican candidates across the country, including more than $2 million to Trump for his election campaign and for his inauguration. More recently, for most of 2019, the Krafts have given nothing that's on record at the Federal Election Commission to Republican candidates, or to any candidates for that matter, Uh, The last contributions either of them gave were early in 2019, and their contribution slate is completely empty for the rest of the year up until now. I should add that it's not illegal for a high senior federal official to give money to a federal candidate during a campaign. It's completely legal under the Hatch Act, uh, which regulates political activities by federal government employees. So she could, she would be free to give money if she chose to, but presumably has chosen not to. So let's talk about Ambassador Nightcraft's record so far. One thing that Pazlu is always paying attention to is women's rights. At the last Commission on the Status of Women meeting, the U.S. and other states, such as Saudi Arabia and Hungary, have been pushing back on sexual and reproductive rights at the U.N. Has the new American ambassador followed this trend? Well, Kelly Nightcraft has said that one of her top goals as UN ambassador is to protect human rights. And in particular, she's mentioned women's rights and the rights of children and girls in particular. But her concept of that is not the same as some some activists might think in uh, reproductive rights. She seems much more concerned with 
the conditions of people in refugee camps, for example, and has made it clear that she is not in favor of abortion rights. On this, she has fallen in line with President Trump, who has taken a very hard line opposing reproductive health issues. Here's what she said in a speech in October. The United States joins other member states in support of Women, Peace, and Security Resolution. We remain deeply committed to this issue. I commend South Africa for the cooperative spirit in which it led this process. However, the resolution refers to previous documents that include references to sexual and reproductive health. I must note that we cannot accept references to sexual and reproductive health, nor any references to safe termination of pregnancy or language that would promote abortion or suggest a right to abortion. The United States has stated clearly on many occasions, consistent with the 1994 ICPD Program of Action and its report, that we do not recognize abortion as a method of family planning, nor do we support this in our Women's Global Assistant Initiatives. The UN should not put itself in a position of promoting or suggesting a right to abortion, whether it is humanitarian or development work. Erwin, what has her voting record been on the issue of Israel and Palestine, for example? On the Middle East, Kelly Nightcraft has been very much in line with the policies of the Trump administration, which are to support Israel essentially in an unqualified sense. This administration has given no consideration whatever or no favor whatever to Palestinians in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. And their policy has been that Israel is always right. And especially at the UN, Israel has been a victim of bias from other UN members. And so she has made it very clear that this is her view as well, that the UN must guard against bias against Israel. So she has supported the president down the line on Israel For instance, in his most recent initiative, Secretary Pompeo announced recently that the United States believed that the settlements in the Palestinian-occupied territories that were set up by Israel are not illegal. This is hard to understand for someone outside of the region or who is not involved in this conflict, but it's a very important point and has been U.S. policy mostly since the birth of Israel. And so this is a a big change, especially since the Security Council position on this matter, as expressed through many resolutions, is that the settlements are illegal under international law. And she's taken part in three trips so far that we know of, to South Sudan, also Colombia, to mostly talk about Venezuela, and Haiti. How did that go? Well, I think for her, the trip to South Sudan went extremely well. She was able to appear in a number of pictures talking to South Sudanese refugees in camps and in dire straits around the country. This is a country that has tried to reach peace for years and has been unable to because of factional fighting between uh, groups inside the country. And there's tremendous pressure on the country now to stop fighting 
and get peace. And there she was able to identify with this important issue on the right side and say, please stop fighting and get together and do the right thing. On Colombia, she was able to talk about one of Donald Trump's favorite topics, which is the rights record of the Venezuelan administration, which Trump accuses of uh, brutalizing its people all the time. So she was able to, you know, to get some points with the boss on that also. And in Haiti, she was able to jump into a, a festering conflict that has been going on for decades and uh, talk peace also. So it looks good, even though the trip might not have made much difference to the parties. If listeners want more of your coverage and to read your review of Nikki Haley's new book, they can visit passblue.com. Erwin, thank you so much. You're very welcome. This episode was produced by me, Casey Candela, and reported by Stephanie Fillion for Pass Blue, an independent women-led media site covering the United Nations and global affairs. Dulcie Leimbach is our editor, AI Digital created our podcast logo, and our music is by Poddington Bear. A lot happens at the UN beyond what we report in each episode of Unscripted, and Pass Blue is covering the important news, from women's rights to human rights to the Trump defect on the UN. For day-to-day coverage, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And to subscribe to our newsletter, go to passblue.com. Pass Blue's in-depth and exclusive stories and this podcast are possible with the support of the Carnegie Corporation of New York, The New School, and listeners like you. To show your support, visit Pass Blue's website and click Donate. Unscripted is available wherever you find podcasts. If you like today's show, please rate us on iTunes and share with all your friends. 